Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. Our first lesson today comes from Matthew's Gospel in the third chapter. Listen now to the Word of God. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I invite you to stand. As we listen to the second lesson, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 26th chapter. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Where is the church? You might think, well, the church, this church, is at the corner of First Avenue and 11th Street. You may think of other churches that you know of at other geographic locations. But where is the church? Not just the physical place of it, but what happens in this church or in any church so that we know that there is something different about it, that it is the church of Jesus Christ, that God shows up here, Where is this church? Our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, gives us a resource that helps answer that question. It's found in one part of our church's, our denomination's constitution called the Book of Order. Congregations exist as places where people become more faithful in the mission of Christ. There are three markers for this activity and for this gathering. Congregations exist to do this as they, one, provide for the, that the Word of God may be truly preached and heard, responding to promises of God's new creation in Christ and inviting all people to participate in that new creation. Two, provide that the sacraments may be rightly administered and received, welcoming those who are being engrafted into Christ, as we just did, 
bearing witness to Christ's saving death and resurrection, anticipating the heavenly banquet that is to come, and committing itself in the present to solidarity with the marginalized and the hungry. And three, to nurture a covenant community of disciples of Christ, living in the strength of God's promise and giving itself in service of God's mission. I just read to you three paragraphs about what our denominational body says we are to do and that our markers of this church and of any church provide that God's Word is truly preached and heard, provide that sacraments are rightly administered and received, and nurture a covenant community of disciples of Christ. This three-part definition has rattled around in Presbyterian circles for 500 years, or actually for 460 years. It was articulated and written down in the Scots Confession of 1560, where John Knox and the other ancestors in faith who gathered in that time defined the true kirk, the Scottish word for church, the true kirk in this language. They said, the notes of the true kirk, therefore we believe, confess, and avow to be first the true preaching of the Word of God, in which God has revealed Himself to us as the writings of the prophets and apostles declare. Secondly, the right administration of the sacraments of Christ Jesus, with which we are associated the Word and the promise of God to seal and confirm them in our hearts. And lastly, ecclesiastical discipline, uprightly ministered as God word as God's word prescribes, whereby vice is repressed and virtue nourished. Then, wherever these notes are seen and continue for any time, be the number complete or not, beyond any doubt is the true Kirk of Christ, who, according to his promise, is in its midst. That threefold definition rattles around even to this day. The preaching of the Word of God, the sacraments, and discipline or community or the creation that is there. We know the church when we see these things. The language from the 16th century I found particularly uh, challenging, ecclesiastical discipline. Ooh, that kind of sounds like you're being wrapped on the knuckles or with a ruler or something. But then it says discipline is to repress vice and nourish virtue. Who could argue with that? Repressing vice and, and nourishing virtue. The language, the ancient language from 400 plus years ago goes on to say, wherever these notes are seen and continue for any time, be the number complete or not. Wow. You don't have to get it right all the time. If you do this and bear testimony to it, be the number complete or not, beyond any doubt is the true Kirk, is the true church of Christ. And Christ is in the midst of that gathering. In other words, the signs, the actions may not always be done in just the right way or even be complete, 
But where they are lived out, where they are lived out, Jesus Christ is there as Matthew 18, 20 proclaims, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. The symbol of today's focus that you see on the, of our symbols and seals, the symbol of today's focus that you see on the front bulletin is the cup. When you look at that image, you see very graphically that cup that is there. It represents our sacraments, our sacraments of communion and our sacrament of baptism as well. The cup has a twofold meaning for it represents how we share what we have been given and how we come even into this place. When we share the Lord's Supper, Presbyterians affirm three things at, at least. We are united with Christ. We share God's forgiveness and we live in the testimony to a new life that has been given to us. We are provided with a ministry to serve God. We are united with God. Secondly, we are united with each other in the body of Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection provides our salvation and we all live in that hope. It has been said that this is like bread. You can take many different kinds of grain and you can put them together as you bake a bread and the bread is brought together in one loaf with many different grains. When we are together in that loaf of the church, we are baked by God's Spirit. And when that happens, then our disagreements, though we may realize them, in God's eyes, our disagreements don't matter. The Lord's Supper, thirdly, is a visible reminder of what God intends to do in our life. We are brought together by simple elements, fruits of the earth, from the grain and from the grape, we are brought together with these simple elements. And from them, there is a testimony that there is something bigger than our life here. Through our faith in Christ, through our community together, we are able to, tri to triumph over death and to share love that will prevail against fear. Three things, powerful, powerful. It is ironic that this event of communion that is the way we say we proclaim our unity has often been the source of discord. There are churches out there, there are groups of people who practice what they call a closed communion, where you have to be a member of a particular church or a particular denomination to share in the communion experience. Still, we struggle to find what that means, to live together, to learn together. But despite all of those failings, God's love is able to transcend even the deepest crevices of our disagreements and our experience. God's love will transcend those realities. The cup also speaks to baptism which we have experienced this morning. Baptism originated as a ritual purification that was practiced by the Jews. 
That's what John the Baptist did. He was calling people to repent, to be washed, to be purified. And Jesus came to join together as a sign of solidarity with what was happening and also to declare that his ministry was to begin. It was to share. So today, we likewise say ministry begins with baptism. Today, Mary McBrien was baptized and her ministry has begun. She cannot know, and we know that she cannot know all of that, yet love and hope abound, not only with her family, but with all of us, with all Christians gathered everywhere. Her parents came and shared a hope and a promise with us. There will come a time when she will be able to affirm that hope and promise for herself, and we will celebrate that day. In the meantime, we will nourish her and nurture her as she learns to live in that hope and that promise of God's love made real through Jesus Christ for her and for all who respond. Several years ago, my father died. And at the memorial service, the pastor said, she said, Joe's baptism is now complete. That stopped me kind of cold to think. Our baptism maintains us throughout our lives. It begins at the beginning, as it has done so here today. But it undergirds and it marks us as claimed by God, no matter where we are or what we are doing. Now, I will acknowledge there may be times when we don't want other people to see the mark that God has laid upon us. And there might even be some times when we hope that God's not looking too closely. But that mark remains. That mark remains of God's love and God's trust and God's grace. It is a hope. It is a promise that we are called to live into. And as we affirmed in the affirmation just a few minutes ago, we love because God first loved us. We love because God first loves us. The cup is the symbol of that, of, God, of that love. The cup is a symbol of God's love in our baptism and at the communion table where we share it. It is a reminder that we are called to share our life, our hope, grace that is given through Jesus Christ and to be broadcast not only in a particular place, but into the world as well. Where two or three are gathered, we need to be about having the Word of God preached, of sharing the sacraments with integrity, and living in a community that is a witness to the power of God and Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, of living in a community where virtue can be encouraged and vice may be repressed. We've been saying that as Presbyterians. We've been saying that for 500 years. And the Christian community has been saying that in one form or another for its entire existence. But the world today is different than the world when the Scots Confession was created. 500 years ago, things were different. For one thing, 
we may travel to Scotland now in a matter of simply a few hours, whereas in that day and time it took months to plan and travel. We have the advantage of being here on a very warm June day, controlling our internal environment. Then they didn't have that benefit of technology. But the world is different in other ways as well. In that day and time, the government and the church were one. The faith of the leader was the faith of the people, and that is something that John Knox knew very well, for he had become convinced that God was leading him into what would become the Reformation. But as he did that, he conflicted with the rulers of Scotland who held a different Christian faith. It was the Catholic faith. But because John Knox would not comply with that, he was imprisoned, and he was a galley slave for the French king. Today, we don't have that. We are fortunate to live in a country in a time when the, their issues of faith are not determinant on our ability to be involved as citizens. And that is very, very good. But it does possess some challenges. It does make it different for us to hear those words, dis dis discipline is to be repressed. Discipline is to repress vice and to encourage and nourish virtue. Discipline is to repress vice and nourish virtue. To do so in that day meant that whatever you did legally in the governmental system would apply to the whole of society, for the church was part of the state. For us, not so much. It's different. What does it mean to engage our faith? The faith that we share that is symbolized by the cup, the testimony of God's Word made flesh, God's call to ministry that we follow in. What does it mean for us to be involved in civic engagement? Over the last few years, there has been one issue that has swirled around in political circles, making several state legislatures have made laws about it or had held hearings about it, and that is the issue of payday lending. Even that issue has been highlighted here in Georgia. And in communities where there is a large military presence, we know something about that, sometimes that is a very powerful issue for it engages and entraps a number of people who are caught up in it. How do we say something out of our faith position about that? In 2014, the Southern Baptist Convention, a conservative body, theologically, to say the least, passed a resolution about payday lending. And in that resolution, just a couple of years ago, their statement was, quote, payday lending conflicts with God's plan for human relationships. And a second quote, payday lending is a direct violation of the love commandment. Pretty strong language, trying to repress vice and encourage virtue. 
other Christian groups of various persuasions on the, any sort of spectrum have made statements about it. But it is not simply a conservative or a liberal issue. This past week, I received an invitation to a webinar on how the church, how, how the Presbyterian church may engage this issue of payday lending as a way of repressing vice and encouraging virtue. While the issue can be debated as a political one and an economic one, it is also one that the confession speaks to. How do we live our life as the church, as a community that encourages the best in the world and discourages those things that are destructive and enslaving? How do we do that? Of course, there are many matters that can be brought up like this. Everyone, I'm sure, can think of one issue that they believe is the most important that the church needs to be addressing. I raise this issue as an example that can see how the grades of agreement are nourished through common elements of faith over a broad spectrum where one might not expect there to find any agreement. The cup, that cup that is shared at the Lord's table, that is symbolic of the waters of baptism, is one way for us to see a symbol of hope of God through Jesus Christ and how that hope can shape and form creation, the creation that God has given us to live in. There are many challenges to this hope. There are many conflicts that we have with other Christians for one reason or another, and we acknowledge that. But when we look at that symbol of the cup, we know that whatever our depiction of it is, whatever the graphic symbol is, the real power is far beyond what we can see and even what we can imagine because we love because God first loved us. We share that conviction when we look and we use and we receive from the cup. Thanks be to God. Amen.